Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And before we interrogate Kunkka today, please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming stuff. Give us a rating, write a comment, tell Josh he is right or wrong about Justice League. <laughs> If you'd rather DM us, you can with questions or topic suggestions at act2writers at gmail.com. And that's all spelled out or on our Instagram at act2writers. Kanka. Hello. I often forget what your first name is because I never call it to you. <laughs> but we had Dan Kanka on the show today and he is a fantastic writer. And he and I met back in my days when I was an assistant at Universal and he was working at Universal as well and just selling shit left and right ever since then. And so we have him on today to just talk specifically about the spec market and spec sales and his latest amazing sale, Lyft, um, which we'll get into. But... Welcome. I always forget the welcome part. Josh always has to get my manners. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I, I it was a very it was a very warm intro. I'm uh, I'm very happy to be here. And um, yes, Tasha and I I was uh, I worked in the story department at Universal when Tasha was an assistant. And it's um, it's great to meet her on the other side of things as a uh, as a professional, an actual professional working writer. So I do feel like it is the first time we've technically met since both of us have left Universal. It is like we like we'll interact a little bit and stuff, but it's you know yeah. it's uh, this is this is like we've never talked about any of it. But um, no, so. we have never talked about being writers together, and I think that's very interesting. <laughs> the Act yes. Two podcast has brought us together <laughs> we're ready i love uh talking about the business it's uh infinitely fascinating to me and i just love your guys's podcast because i love the idea of breaking the process down and demystifying what it is that we do to be working writers i think that's you know it's it's scary and there's a ton of questions and i know people have them and for what little answers i have um i'm happy to be here and help so i think it's great i'm so excited I feel like Josh, Josh is sort of our resident spec feature guy. And so I feel like I'm going to turn a lot of the questions over to him. Where to begin? I guess we like to start with like where you're from. Did you go to film school? Yeah, give us your history. Great. Um, I did go to film school. I'm from Chicago originally. I've moved out here. It's now I went to USC in the undergraduate uh, filmic writing uh, program which was great. It was a four year hanging out with people who wanted to be writers film school, but I sort of uh, went a different path outside of school. A lot of my friends just tried to be writers and do other things and work at video stores. And I started working at Universal, which is where I met Tasha, but I worked at the Universal story department for several years, not reading or not doing coverage, but sort of helping to manage the readers um, and distribute scripts and things like that which is where I like to say I got a lot of my real education. I think that's where I started to really understand not just scripts and what made a good scripts and read a lot of scripts, but also started me down the road of getting into the business a little bit and seeing how things got passed around and how scripts became sort of popular and got sold. And then from there, worked as an assistant for a while, worked for a producer for a while, sort of made my way through the ranks and back and forth at Universal for a little bit. And then my first spec that ever went out, I wrote a script called Copies, which was a, a big sci-fi 
um, idea. And I, I wrote it after college and I toiled on it for much too long, figuring it out and uh, young writer stuff. And um, I, it's, it was about human cloning and I finished it and I like sent it off to my agent and my, or I had my manager at the time. And I was super jacked and I went to the movies and I saw a trailer for the Island with Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. And it was like literally the same movie. And I was like, well, oh, no. fuck this. <laughs> so that script went out and it didn't sell. Um, but my manager was good at sending it out for me anyway. Um, and from there took a lot of sort of my first meetings around town to varying degrees of success. And off of there, uh, I met a producer named Josh McLaughlin who worked with the Mark Gordon company, which sort of led to my first job, which was, um, we were sitting around and I had this idea for sort of a grounded action movie, uh, which wound up becoming a script called 12 rounds, which I, we tried to sell as a pitch didn't work. I sold it as a, wrote it as a spec didn't sell. Um, but we wound up getting it, uh, the WWE involved and John Cena read it and loved it. And we wound up making that movie directed by Rennie Harlan produced by Mark Gordon. And it was like first big, first sale, first job on the set in New Orleans, hanging out with John Cena. And I'm a huge wrestling fan. So it was like behind the curtain. Amazing. And that was kind of like my first, that was it. That's how I got into the guild. That's how I became quote unquote, a professional writer. At what stage did 12 rounds come in? Like how long had you been in the business? How long after college was this job? This was uh, seven years. I mean, I, I was at the point where I had a good job at Universal, but I was really considering, do I want to, if I want to work in an office, should I just move back to Chicago and work in insurance? Copies was actually like, a, it was a big sci-fi, you know, like again, grounded sci-fi cloning, but it was like a big kind of fun summer movie. And it was something that I really wanted to do. Again, sort of ran into parallel development in movie making, which happens. Um, but that script gave me just a little bit more life. And then, you know, 12 rounds didn't sell as a spec. How long did it take you to write 12 rounds? Do you remember? I think I did like two terrible, terrible, terrible drafts and then finally got into decent shape. It probably took me, I mean, at the time, it probably took me way too long. I would probably say eight months probably through all of it um, just because I had a job. I was, wasn't super focused and really hadn't figured out that part of it yet, I don't mm -hmm. think. How did you get your uh, manager or agent? So I had my first manager. My first manager came to speak at USC. And I will say... I know there's a lot of film school discussion. Mileage may vary. I liked my film school. It was a great experience. I think I learned more working in the business after college than I did in college. But I will say that my, um, my, my first manager came and spoke because he was a young manager and he signed Jamie Vanderbilt and Josh Schwartz were both in the filmic writing program uh, either a year or two years ahead of me. And this manager found Jamie Vanderbilt and... Josh, I think, went a different way, but ended up repping with this. His name is Mikkel Bondison. Um, but Mikkel sort of found Jamie and sold Jamie's senior thesis script, uh, Independence, Missouri, uh, three days before graduation. And so he came to class to, like, talk to the class, but I think also to, like, troll for clients. And I had just finished my senior thesis, and I sent it to him that day, and he called me back. And we, like, kind of worked on it, and he kind of signed me off of that and helped me develop copies and so, yeah, so we, we were able to do that. Uh, and then he was the one who repped me through, uh, through copies and then, um, 
you know, through 12 rounds um, and that development process. So you did not have an agent during the time yes. of Red? I did not have an agent. I, I did not have an agent until I signed with ICM who repped uh, Rennie Harland on 12 rounds. I signed with them um, after the movie was made. Gotcha. It, when you reached out to him, were you nervous? Were you like, hey man, you just spoke in our class. Here's my script. No, I, th I think I was an idiot. I think I didn't know any better. So I think it was actually kind of helped me. Uh, and my senior thesis, to be fair, was way too heady, but it had a really strong first act. And I think he read the first act and he called me up and he's like, listen, I don't like anything after this, but he's like, the first act works. <laughs> and like, I, it did, it just, I got lucky. Uh, but like, I didn't have the chops to tell a full story, but I told that part of the story, I think very well. I feel like I want to do a whole other episode on the process of 12 rounds, though that's not our topic today, but it's, just because I want amazing. to hear about Cena and I want to hear about that. Just like, yeah, first movie that you sell and then first movie that you're on set with, just all of that coming together. It was an amazing experience. I'm still in contact with actors on the show and, and, and the producers were all friends still. And it's like, everyone's just like, ah, 12 rounds. That was a good one. That's cool. It was an amazing experience. Um, it felt like I, I was primed and ready to take over Hollywood. Uh, and then like I lost health insurance within like six months of the movie being released. I was like, am I ever going to do this again? So can we kind of talk about that period a little bit? Because that is always, I feel like so many people think they're going to make it when they just sell their thing and then they're just going to skyrocket to the top and it's never going to stop. And we both know that's absolutely not true. I had to come back to Universal at one point and work there in the story department after leaving. So it happens. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yes, um, I, I, I am now a, I'm a WGA mentor and like my mentor class, you know, I'm, everybody had just joined the guild. So they were in their first, usually their first sale. And then like getting the insurance and coming on and everyone sort of has that lull after that momentum drops down, right? Like movie came out, you know, it wasn't a big sale. 12 rounds wasn't like a huge spec auction. It got set up. WWE is not like a huge movie producer. Cena was not Cena yet. You know, the movie comes out, you get paid for the movie, you get residuals. So you've got money coming in, but you're not making money writing. So you're going to lose your health insurance and it's it's easy to get caught up in your own hype and then to just lose focus for a little bit and suddenly you're behind the eight ball, right? You have to go back. You know, I was still working. I was moonlighting at Universal for sure, I think, during this time too. What do you feel like was the hardest part about finding another job? Why is there a lull? I think there's a lull because I think that there's an inherent moment where you go, oh, fuck, I made it. And like, I went to set. Like, it wasn't, I, it wasn't like I sold a script and nothing happened like i was on a roller coaster for six months like they brought the script in may and we started shooting in october like it was fucking crazy one thing that happened to me was that 12 rounds was a very specific script it was sort of a contained action movie and like it taken had just come out so there was sort of that mojo and coming off of 12 rounds i tried to sort of hit that needle again but it wasn't me i think i was trying to fit a box that i had found success in that i thought i could go back to but it actually wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so what wound up happening for me is, you know, I knew my health insurance was running out. My wife was pregnant with our first baby and it was the summertime and nothing had come. And I had maybe written a script that didn't sell or there was a pitch that I didn't get. And like the momentum was done. Nobody cared about Dan Kunk anymore. What do we do? And this kind of goes back to the topic of today, which is, which is writing that spec. And, you know, I sort of had to start again. And so I said, you know, I've, I've taken some time doing these action movies that maybe aren't, that I like them. 
I enjoy them, but maybe aren't what I want to be. I want to write sort of big PG-13 sci-fi tentpole fun family four quadrant movies. And so I sat down uh, and I had a piece of paper and I wrote out log lines and I wrote the words, there's going to be an alien spy or a human, a human spy on an alien planet. And I said, that's a good idea. And I said, okay, this is going to be a spec. I'm going to write this. It's going to be like a Cold War thriller. We're going to send a human to an alien world like ours. And he's going to be working in their like state department or whatever. And he's the man on the inside and shit goes bad. And I said, I'm going to call it Agent Ox. And I said, if I, if I wrote 30 pages before my son was born, I knew I could finish it. And I did. I think I wrote up to page 28. My wife had a baby. They would go to sleep after one of the late night feedings. And I would write from like nine to midnight, you know, and spurs it out through the days. I finished that script. Uh, and it was a big idea and I knew it was a good idea. And it was like, I took, I was said that I basically said that I was going to take one more shot, but if I was going to take one more shot, I wanted to take one more shot and write what I wanted to write. And I know that Tasha and, and Josh, I've heard you guys talk about it, you know, being true to your vision or your, or your, or just having a, you know, a voice of what your point of view was. And this was mine. And so marrying sort of a high concept idea with something that was, you know, grounded and familiar, like a spy story and it sold. And it, it was my sort of first real like spec, you know, 12 rounds was technically a spec and I guess that's technical, but it, this was, this was my first time in the actual process of let's send a spec out on Tuesday and sell it by Friday. I was nervous and didn't know, and I could be doing a lot of other things, but it went out on Tuesday and Sony bought it on Friday night at eight thirty. Wow. Oh, man. My sort of theory about spec scripts, um, which is sort of why you guys had me on, and I've had a lot of success doing it, and like what I like to tell writers is that you have no control in this business uh, except for when you write a spec script. When you write a spec script, you have something that's yours that people hopefully want and that people can't do. And there's a, there's a, you, you, you make yourself important if only, you know, hopefully you're only, it's, you're important for five days when someone buys it. But like for those five days, I even said that was, you know, Agent Ox was 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, nine years, I don't know, whatever the fuck it is. And I sold Lyft, I sold Lyft four weeks ago. And when Lyft went out on a Tuesday, uh, I tweeted that it was like, you know, I've done my best. It's gone out. I'm nervous as shit. I'm super excited. I like, you have like a buzz inside of you that I get, that I'm addicted to. And I think that it's like, it could, I've had it go bad. I've had it go good. You never quite know, but nothing beats that moment as a writer because they want, like people actually like call you directly and want to be in business with you and like want to do things. And like, you actually feel like you have some sort of control over your job, even if it's only for a week. It does so much for you. I think, you know, again, and, and just um, I'm cutting off questions that you may ask later, but, I, you know, for me, writing spec scripts is about keeping yourself relevant in the business, because I think what happens is you you write 12 rounds and you go away and you're on a set for six six months, right? You don't write anything and memories are short. Like people read you, they know your name. Maybe they call you for something, but if they're not calling you for something, they're getting six other scripts a week. Like it's easy to forget who Dan Kunkka is. And so every time that, you know, it's kind of a cycle where if you sell a script or sell a big spec and then you're able to book a job off of it, and we can talk about how open writing assignments and other things too, and how much time they take and blah, 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 blah. But, but the long and short of it is, is you sell a script, you kind of go away. 
And unless that movie gets made and and people know you because you become a movie making entity, which sort of breaks you into another stratosphere of writing, if you're just a working writer who's selling ideas, selling scripts, if you're not reintroducing yourself to the business every 18 months with a new piece of material, it's really easy for them to to forget about you forever. Yeah. And when they forget about you forever, they're not calling you for jobs. And then you just have to get like a real job. And I don't ever want to do that. So <laughs> I don't ever want to do that. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I think I, I want to go back and kind of talk about that first spec sale. And then also then talk about the process with Lyft and just sort of talk about also how those two things are different. Um, so your first spec sale, I, I love the story that it was kind of inspired by the fact that of, of need. And I think spec writing in particular comes from this place of writers doing exactly what you're saying, needing to control our careers, needing to control our destinies, needing to make our rent. So after you did Agent Ox, what did that process look like? Did you send it to your reps and they like hated it? They loved it. They immediately wanted to go out with it. What did that process look like? They were high on it. I had just signed with ICM and I had cleared with them the idea what the idea would be. Um, and everybody was on board. And if I remember correctly, it was uh, the first draft ended up being pretty much what, you know, there was a few revisions, but pretty much what the draft we went out with. So, wow. yeah, it was just a clarity to it. I think there was some things that I had to clear up and, 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 and other things, but I think I was able to present a big idea. And, you know, first acts are so important in, in specs. Like it's just, you set up everything. It's, it's the time that people are going to give you is a first act. I mean, usually it's less, but if you can get to a first act point where, you know, I had a really great end of first act beat that was like, oh, I know what this movie is going to be. This guy is going on the run because they think he killed this guy and it's on a planet and I get it and it's a spy movie. So a lot of those big idea sales things were all there, um, which I think obviously helped. My agents were excited about it. And then it's funny that you like talk about, you know, comparing the process for this spec to Lyft, like pretty similar. It, it was funny after Lyft, a lot of, I got, I got some feedback on Twitter and things where it was like, oh, people don't sell specs like this anymore. I think now there's really this new methodology, which is like, oh, we're going to get a director and a piece of talent and we're going to, you know, we're going to package and put this movie together and go out and we're going to give studios a sort of like a, you, this is a can't say no proposition because we've got like a whole movie. And I think that's great. I think people get a lot of success and writers who can pull that off can get very rich doing that. I think that it's also a, a very laborious process because waiting for directors and actors to read is long and infuriating. So I also think that you need sort of a, a, a really strong producer element that can help drive that. Um, when you're putting your scripts together. Can you talk about why that's important and maybe give examples of what it means to be a good producer in that aspect? As a writer, what to look out for? There's very few producers who I think can talk a lot, a lot about doing things, but there are certain producers in town. And I think you can, can sort of consistently see them setting up projects, putting movies together, uh, working with people who are making movies that are just on another level because they're 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 actually doing the things that need to be done to to make a movie, I think. I remember I just recently had a, a call with a producer who is a, a pretty big name producer, and I knew the call was her trying to convince me to let them option one of my scripts that she kind of liked um, to do for TV. And so the call for me should have been, 
that producer pitching me what their plan was for the script to turn it was a feature script to turn it into tv like that's sort of what the producer's job would have been on that call is like hey tasha this is why you should come with me it's because this is my cool plan and it's going to succeed versus what i got which was her pitching me why tv's like really relevant right now and why tv's really good right now and i'm like that's information I know, <laughs> even simply as a viewer of television. Um, and so that that's that is also a great example of where there's a good producer and someone who, even though they have a name, is not doing the producer job. Yes, that happens a lot. Again, it's just such an unequal relationship because writers get paid when writers get paid, but all these other people are getting paid all the time. So there's a time. And especially when you're young, I think, you know, as you get as you get as you as your career goes and you and you get deeper in your career you get to avoid some of these situations because producers won't put you in them they there's just a lot of like executives justifying to their bosses why they're still getting paid working on things that aren't real things with writers who are not getting paid but sort of have to go down this road because they feel like this is how it should be done or trying to get an open writing assignment or other things and it just becomes frustrating i think and it's it's unfortunate because it does waste time. And I think time is important. Obviously, you know, as writers, we have to book jobs every year to get health insurance. Like these are real world things. Like it's not just, oh, I want to be a writer because I want to be a writer. Like you have to make money to earn health insurance. And if you don't earn health insurance and make money, you have to get another job, which makes it super hard to write. Like these are real world problems. So for Agent Ox, then you wrote it, they immediately loved it, a few minor adjustments. Did you then take it to a producer to get sort of a heavy hitter on board? Or did you immediately just take it out to studios? Nope, we did the old, um, and this is this has worked for me. And this is was one of the things that people were sort of amazed that we did on Lyft, but it, it, it still works is we do the, you know, no producer, I didn't work with anyone, I wrote the script my own, I have, I didn't have them. I might have had a manager on Agent Ox. Actually, no, no, I had fired my manager and went out without a manager and then got a manager off of Agent Ox. Um, <laughs> worked it with my reps, got the script where we wanted it. And I, I feel like when you're trying to set up a property and sell a spec script, the best thing you can do is try to create, you got to create like a moment of confusion and like, the need to like create sort of a flurry of activity so that people make bad decisions and buy your script. <laughs> it's how people sell things, right? Like you sell things when things are on sale. So your spec script should go on sale this week so that, you know, there's a slow again. And I know that a lot of people now sort of do the slow game where it's like, well, we'll go to one producer and see if we can get this producer on for the town or do this. But I, I have had success and, and I, I know other writers as well, which is your reps call producers. You know, we get a list of producers, um, you know, uh, people always ask, well, is it wide? Does it blanket the town? Is it like, do you specifically have just a few? And like, I think it's more, you want to have a couple of producers for each, uh, each studio uh then like maybe a handful of other people that you either know or also sort of have you know are right for the script in some ways you know it was the same in agent ox as it was with lyft and that is they call them up on tuesday and they say hey uh dan cucker wrote the spec we think the spec is great it's going to you but it's also going to 25 other producers and whoever calls me back and wants it to take it to the to, to the territories can take it to the territories lyft was a much accelerated timeline but sort of the usual process was it went out on Tuesdays. Tuesday night, executives are at, at these production companies. Wednesdays, people started responding to the script where it was like, oh, I like this. I gave it to my boss. 
again, I was still a young, I was a young unknown writer at the time. So it's like, you weren't going to heads of companies, you were going to the executives. So you've got like a little bit of a ladder to step up, but the script was getting passed along and people were into it. They liked the idea on Wednesday. By Thursday morning, my agent had sort of made the decision of, okay, these people have, producers had said, yes, I want to take this into the buyer. Which territories can I have? Um, and it's a process that's infinitely fascinating. And it's one that I love that I also have like literally no say whatsoever. Can you talk about what that means? Yes. So like what will happen is if you work with a producer from the start of an idea, or if you sort of pair yourself with a producer early on the process, that producer will then sort of be in charge of selling the script and taking it to sort of all the buyers in town. So if they have a deal, you know, if it's a producer that has a deal at a studio, maybe it's, they'll go to Universal first. And then if Universal passes, we can take it to the town, which means we can take it to any other buyer. We can, we, we, we want to see what we get, but the script always goes in with that producer attached to it. In these sort of spec sale situations, the script goes into the buyers from specific producers and to each studio. So the, the, the producer who has a deal at Universal gets to take that script to Universal. The script, the producer who has a deal at Paramount takes it to Paramount. And what they do, what they end up doing is hopefully these producers are calling your agent and saying, we love the script, we love the script. And then the agent sort of has to decide, okay, we have these two producers have deals at Universal. We have to pick one of them. Or uh, this is the only Paramount producer that said, yes, we give them Paramount. An independent producer says he wants Netflix and someone else. Where can we put him? You know, who's the best producer to bring the script to the studios. And there's a lot to consider. Producers who are important to studios and have big studio deals are always great because they have to service those deals. Producers who get movies made are obvious movies made are actually, you know, they're, they sort of help the process along, but your agent will sort of then figure out which of the territories um, are covered by which producer. And so for Agent Ox, this was, this was like Thursday. And what I think is the craziest part about any of this is that None of these people who have read my script have contacted me directly. I have no idea if they if they like the script. I have no idea if they they like me, if they have any notes. I know zero. But again, we're not stopping for a sandwich here. Like the momentum is there because by the time that it's going into buyers on Thursday, it's on message boards. Assistants are talking about it. People are calling about the script. There is a built-in sort of momentum that stops for no man because we want to get to a sale. So then the script goes in to studios on Thursday. Um, hopefully they're reading Thursday night and my agents are definitely pushing to get someone to buy it before the weekend comes. Because if you don't want to give people time to read it over the weekend, because when people read it over the weekend, that's when people find things to say no, or they come to their senses. And so the urgency is coming from your your agents being like, hey, if Neil, Neil Moretz, if you don't sell this, like someone else over here at Universal is going to get it first. And there's they're basically building a smoke and mirrors kind of lie um, or maybe not. Like it's a mix of truth and lying. I feel like that's like we, we need to get this done now. Do you have you ever been on those call or like not been on the calls, but at least like heard sort of how they're pitching it? It doesn't matter if it's a lie, first of all, but it, you're true. It is just like you're you're creating you are creating a market. I have not. I have uh, on the last one on Lyft. I know that there was my my agent was 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 clear that it's like he was working with some producers that he knew that he knew that he could push and that would then push the script themselves. Like there was definitely some pro producers that were very invigorated by the material and were calling places directly. And again, you just. You want them to say, like, if you don't buy it, someone else is going to buy it today. So let's 
get your shit, you know, you got to get one, you know, getting that one bid in a, it's great. Cause you've got someone who wants to buy the script, but also then you hopefully get into a situation where more people want to get into that and whatever. Yeah. And I can say like from, from being at Universal and being an assistant to an executive that this would then go to, this problem would happen right on, on the Universal side. And definitely that urgency from my boss of like, I don't know if this is good, but everyone is saying that they're going to buy it. So like, I have to bring it to my boss because I can't miss out or else I'm going to be in some serious trouble. And so that energy, whether they like the script or not, almost doesn't matter because that energy is what they have to respond to or they get fired. <laughs> people don't want to be fired and people don't want to be yelled at. Like if you're, if your boss doesn't bring it to the, to the, you know, president of production and the script sells somewhere else and the president of production reads about it on a deadline and is like, why didn't we see the script? You'd be like, well, you're the one who fucked it up. So there is definitely like a, a long line of people trying to uh, not get yelled at, which helps yeah. you out. And then, you know, at some point the script sort of has to hang on its own merits. Um, but you sort of want to get it to that spot where, you know, people are making those decisions. And I remember Agent Ox, I mean, I, it was my, I mean, I'm always a nervous wreck, but like, it was my first one. I like, my career was on the line and like, I was a nervous wreck. And by like Friday, I mean, I was working, I was working at Universal Fielding Calls and like by Friday afternoon, it was like, we think an offer is coming in. Oh my God. We think that like, but like there was a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, um, deal making which is like again business affairs doesn't call until the very very last moment because they know you're desperate uh and i honestly think that they called at like it was at least after six because i was almost on the way home i think and like they called at six and then there was maybe a counter offer at 6 30 and i think it closed at like 7 30 on friday so um, wow what was that ride home like what were you thinking <laughs> i had to get we had i had dinner plans um so i was i was on the way home trying to get home for dinner and then we were like trying to find a sitter, like we were, it was, uh, it's a long, it was, Agent Ox was a long complicated story, but it was just, you just don't, you just don't, you just try not to be excited. You just, you can't help but be excited, but you try not to, you try not to be nervous. You're, you're at this point where you think that it's coming in and you just, you just try to just try to focus, try to figure out a way to get through to the end. And then it just happens. And then like, it's not even like a relief. It's just so like. Um, I think every time that it's ever happened, you just get off the phone and you're just like, I just like, I can't, I just can't believe that. Just, that was just like four crazy days and this just fucking happened. And like, holy wow. shit. And then like you tell someone and then they're just like, inevitably everyone else is way more excited than you are. At least for me, like I'm, I think I get like, I don't know if it's nerves or if it's just like your body is still like in that sort of self preservation, preservation mode <laughs> where you won't allow yourself to be happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of like, it can't be real. It can't be. It's the greatest feeling in the world. And every time I do it, uh, I love it. And it's just, um, again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a roll of the dice. So you just have to keep, you have to keep writing and trusting yourself and believing in your ideas, um, and getting them out there because, uh, you know, that's, that's where, that's where the career is. It's funny you say that because in the deadline article for Lyft that came out, when was this March 18th? There's a whole paragraph. It's, it's a three paragraph thing. And the whole last paragraph is just a list of your accomplishments. And I'm going to read them. Oh. Kunkka has, oh, yeah. <laughs> bear with me. Kunkka has several projects set around town. TriStar and Escape Artists have the sci-fi adaptation. Kagan, focus features in George Clooney and Grant Heslov's 
Smokehouse have water crisis based on an investigative journalist who recently documented how the world is running out of water. And Church Ooh. of Spies has Philip Noyce set to direct. Kunkka previously sold the blacklist script Yellowstone Falls, which was Louis Leterrier to direct. Space Race at Universal with Dan Trachtenberg directing. And Crime oh, of shit. the Century at Universal with Chris Morgan producing. You have a shit ton of stuff. And you're saying that your last produced movie was... 12 rounds. Yes. Are you trying to make me cry? Oh, no. No, what I'm saying is this is the career. Like, it you is. have so many fantastic projects that are out there that have all these amazing names on it. This is what the job is. Yes. It, this is yeah. the slog. 100%. Um, it's, um, I, I tell people, and people are, people don't ask anymore, but it's like, you know, 12 rounds was, was lightning in a bottle. I would love to make a movie again. That's why I'm doing this. I'm not writing scripts just to be read and, you know, uh, sell. <laughs> but I mean, I, actually, no, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Just to be read. I am selling. I am writing them to sell. But uh, I am content. It's easy to get discouraged by things we can't control. And as a writer in this business, there are so many things you can't control. And it's so many, so much bullshit rolls downhill that it's really easy to lose sight of what you can control and what you can do and every project you know there's there's a, some of those projects were either assignments or pitches or other things uh you know but i have sold depending if you count to around seven scripts that i wrote as spec scripts by myself in my room i wrote it myself and then have made money from them there's also been some crazy things in there like yellowstone falls was a script that got me on the blacklist uh, there was a script about uh, wolves avoiding a zombie apocalypse uh, in Yellowstone Park that had very little dialogue and was only 48 pages when we sold it as a spec. Um, I sold a script called Battle of New Orleans, which was about the War of 1812, uh, which was like a period piece historical drama that I was able to, to, to you know, that wasn't a big sale, but that was, I still count it because I got paid. And can I ask you a quick question about those? Sure. So with Yellowstone Falls, do you have to run this past year? Well, you talk to your reps about it and you're like, hey, I have this idea. And then do you give Wolves it to zombies. them? Yeah, like, do you, How does do it they, happen? Do they, yeah, yes. do, but do they think like, oh, it's going to be, uh, you know, 48, 50 pages long or you're just like, do they think of uh, like a 110 page script is coming in? Um, we could do a whole podcast about Yellowstone Falls too, but no. Um, I, I feel so, like we've, we're going to create a series with you yeah. where it's like <laughs> your drive home from Agent Ox, just like one full hour about the stress you're going through. And yeah. Like, and this, okay, yeah, go. Well, it's crazy. Okay, so Yellowstone Falls was a similar situation where I had had, um, I had done some good things. Like I had sold a couple, yeah. of, I had sold Agent Ox, I sold uh, a script called Bermuda Triangle to Warner Brothers. Um, you know, I had gotten a job. Um, I felt good. Like I was in a good spot. Um, but I was just, I was just looking for something different. I think it was a, there was a period in time when you were, you know, writing these types of movies where, you know, I didn't want to get, I, like I would get sent every like C minus video game or alien comic book or something. And I was just like, I don't want to do any of these because they don't, A, they're never going to be movies and B, I don't want to waste six months of my life doing an open writing assignment pitch and not getting the job. Um, so I, but I wanted to try and do something different and I, I just got, and, and this is going to, this is Yellowstone Falls particularly was 
came from a meeting that I had with my old boss at Universal, Kevin Misher. And I was a writer now and he was like, which was talk about a weird meeting because mm. I used to like, you know, handle his healthcare and shit and get creams for him or whatever. But like, <laughs> um, oh my God, we can do a whole episode about that, how that oh meeting went. I God. dread that a new series is birth. Meeting that oh my God. never happened. It's still, uh, we we flew to New Zealand together um, for Yellowstone Falls on a completely other thing about meeting someone who is a, meeting a director who is in New Zealand who you may fly to New Zealand to meet. And mm -hmm. it was to be on a, to be like, oh, you're going to be on a plane with Kevin Misher for like 15 hours. It was just like, oh my God. Like it was like, it was. <laughs> is he going to accidentally ask me to get his coffee? <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. It was amazing. Um, but Yellowstone Falls was just like, um, and with a lot of the, like with anything that's crazy with battle of New Orleans was war of 1812. Again, not something that people are like, write a spec about this and definitely not about Yellowstone falls. Um, all of these ideas and sort of my pre-process sort of process thinking is that, you know, there has to be something in there that I know is a movie. And like, I was like, Oh, like animals and zombies. I'm like, what could that be? How do you even tell that story? Uh, and I came up with this moment and I was like, okay, there's going to be a family of wolf pups and there's going to be a runt, right? The, the kid who doesn't run with the other pups. And you can establish that he's the runt because he runs slow in the beginning. And in the, in the front of the movie, they're going to be running from the zombies and they're going to get to a crevice and they're going to have to jump across and he's not going to be able to jump across. And then at the end of the movie, in the third act, they're going to get to a crevice and he's going to fucking jump across and they're going to live. And I was like, I came up with, I got, I have goose, I have goosebumps now thinking about it. And I was like, I was like, I'm like, that is a fucking movie. Like I've got it. I know it's crazy. I know it's weird, but like I had it. And battle of New Orleans was former president or um, future president, Andrew Jackson, who's a fucking total hard ass. And he pairs up with Jean-Pierre Lafitte, the pirate to save New Orleans. And like, it's a true story. But the story had it, right? Like you say it right now, a pirate and a president team up to save New Orleans. And you're like, oh my God, that's a story. That's a Timor uh, movie. Yes. And like, <laughs> so there's always this inherent idea whenever I try to write a spec that I can, that I can, I can pitch to you just like I pitched to you now, which is like three minutes and you guys get what it is. Yellowstone being short, there was just a lot of things that led to that. And where I was like, I, I knew that I was writing something weird. So I just didn't, it couldn't be weird and long. <laughs> so then I was going to be like, let's be weird and short. There's other scripts without a lot of dialogue that have been around town and they've all been super long, but they're super hard to read scripts without dialogue. So I just made the decision. I was like, it's just going to be 48 pages and it's going to, as long as it felt like a movie, I just needed people to get to the end when Runt jumps across and them to go, holy shit, this is amazing to then be like, well, let's think about whether this can be a movie or not. And, you know, that's, I've had many of those discussions since then, but when you're trying to sell a spec, you have to give them something that they would want and you have to try to make it somehow different than, you know, differentiate yourself from other material that's out there and, and being uh, able to take a few chances or figuring out what your voice is, you know, that's, that's a, goes into the sort of the voice conversation too, which is, you know, how am I telling this story differently? Like the lift is a heist movie. It's a, it's a heist movie, but it's on a plane. And I felt like we hadn't really seen that. And we hadn't seen it recently, but there was just something in the characters and how I was going to tell the story that I was like, I think this is, I think this is different enough that this is going to cut through. Let's actually transition to Lyft. I'm curious how that process went. And I'm going to read again from the deadline article of what uh, Lyft 
is so netflix continues to be aggressive in the material market making a preemptive deal for the dan Kunka script lift for simon kinberg's genre pictures and matt reeves sixth in idaho to produce netflix moved quickly after the spec was sent to every studio last night so this is the process that you described. Um, there's a strong part for a lead actress, a female master thief and her ex-boyfriend who works for the FBI team up to steal $100 million in gold bullion being transported on a 777 passenger flight from London to Zurich. That's what Deadline said which is a fantastic log line. If you like, you read it and you're like, oh, that's so fucking obvious. Like that's a, like, I, I'd watch that obviously. <laughs> that's a, an epic contained action story. I can see it so clearly like you're saying, but let's walk through how you got paired up with those producers and what this process looked like. Well, this is you're this is another crazy story, right? They're all crazy stories. Uh, by the way, I wrote, I wrote that log line. We sent that log line to deadline and I hate log lines. And I hate every bit of it. So thank you for reading it on the podcast. Um, so Lyft, as I, I always refer to it as just gold plane, um, because it was about a, a plane carrying gold, uh, came, it was actually, I have had that idea and I've had that full outline sitting on my computer for 10 years. Oh, and I'm wow. not even joking because I looked it up. It was near the time of 12 rounds. It had been after 12 rounds, after Asian Ox had a little momentum. There was an article about how on, on these passenger jets in Europe, on like your passenger flight from London to Zurich, if like a bank is making a gold transfer, they just put them in these crates that say VAL, which stands for valuable. And they just put it in the regular cargo. You never know it's there. And they just transport a hundred million dollars worth of gold bullion. And you have no idea. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. that's an idea. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how do we steal that? And I worked up this entire pitch. Um, but again, it was uh, pitching a heist movie from a perspective of being sort of a younger writer in Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, there's just a lot of, I'm explaining to you why it's cool, but I think a lot of it is so execution based that they were like, I don't know if Dan can pull off these crazy twists that he's pitching us. Um, but I wound up uh, working out a pitch and I thought it was a good pitch, probably like a 12 page outline that I had on my computer. Uh, and we pitched it a grand total of one place uh, and they said no. But it just didn't work. And everyone was just like, well, okay, Dan, I don't think we're going to take any more shots. Like, no one's going to buy this pitch from you. We kind of all just sort of went our separate ways. And like, it just never, I think maybe I've pitched it one or two other places that have been like, do you have any ideas? And I'll be like, what about this gold plane idea? But it was always an idea that I had on my list. Like, I send myself, I send myself sort of a continuous email called my to-do list, which is like the Dan to-do list for this date. And it's got, I just have it sit in my email because I'm a zero inbox person. We can, that's another podcast, but I'm oh a zero inbox person. <laughs> and usually it's not quite zero inbox because the one email that's in there is like my to-do list and it's got personal stuff, but then it's also just got like a list of work stuff and a list of like ideas. Gold plane was just always on the list and I would always bring it up and I'd be like, well, what about this heist movie? And either managers or agents or i would bring it up to producer meetings and like no everyone would be like yeah but and so it just sat there cut to like last year uh i had just done a bunch of uh i just done a bunch of jobs i had done a job for tristar the kagan idea uh, i've been working on this church of spies with philip noyce which is about world war ii and the pope during world war ii and it's like a great sort of dramatic spy movie and it's going to be great um but i was coming off those, those two jobs. assignments they were uh church of spies was a book adaptation that i wound up um getting and kagan was actually kagan was an article that escape artist had that i then i went in and pitched on and then they had not set it up anywhere and then we pitched it and that's how the article got 
you know, that's how they set everything up. Um, gotcha. So that wasn't sort of an OWA. That was more of just a, a opportunity, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. But I had signed with Verve uh, during the pandemic and um, I had left ICM because of the agency action and I felt like I needed some momentum and some different changes. And and since I didn't know when I could go back to ICM, I had signed with Verve. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a new spec, pitch them the idea that wasn't lift, totally different idea, pitch it to them. They're like, do that one. I wrote it. I wrote it super quick. I gave it to them like two months later uh, and they all hated it. They were like, we like the idea. But my manager and agent, they were both like, we got to page 70 and we hate the third act. And I was like, I think I like the third act. And they were like, well, we don't get it. It's a little bit cheesy and like kind of like a 90s movie. And I was just like, I like it. And so then sold. Right. And like, it's we just got to this point. And I think, again, in my younger days, I would have either fought it or I would have like taken their notes and made it something there wasn't. But I was like, I'm not taking your notes because I think your notes are wrong. But you guys clearly don't want to go out and sell this. And it's the first one. And like, I'm like, I don't want you to half-ass this. I'm like, let's just table it. So I literally just tabled it, wrote it three months of my life. And I was like, fuck it. I'll, I'll write it next year or I'll figure it out. But then one of my friends sold like a big script and I was like, shit, I got to write something. Like when my friends do stuff like that, you're like, I see that announcement and I want to go and I want to do something. Uh, it was Red Sonia that got me motivated. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, uh, it was around that time. It was, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I looked at my list and I said, I said, gold plan. And I was like, I'm like, right, let me fucking call it, open up that document. I opened up the document again, 12 pages. I read it over and I was like, fuck, this is good. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I had to, I gender flipped, uh, the, the main character and made it a, a female lead. Cause I didn't, I felt like we hadn't seen a female Daniel ocean except for oceans eight. And I thought that that movie wasn't the best. Um, and so I said, let's, let's make it a female Daniel ocean. And she's a young badass. And she leads this heist and the boyfriend aspect was the same as it was just sort of flip-flop from what I originally had. And I was like, fuck it, let's go. And I started writing it on November 15th is when I opened up the document and we sold it March 15th. So it was three months from like starting writing it to selling it. And the script was, I would say... 95% 95% of the outline that I had from 10 years ago. I so I, I I I like I like cut I like cut stuff out and then I massaged a few things to work and there was parts where I said this happens and then I had to actually figure out what it was happening but it was just it was just there and I just I was just like you know what it's fucking gold plane time like fuck it I think this is going to work <laughs> and was it um, called gold plane? Oh, I wanted to call it the gold plane heist. Uh, they made me change it. Um and then oh, luckily okay. I hated all the titles we came up with. And luckily I came up with lift because it was like lift of a plane and like lift of a heist. And I was like, well, that at yeah. least is not dumb. So yeah, uh, yeah. we went with that. I always like, I always, I always worry about giving advice to younger writers. Cause I think that there is definitely like, as you do this more, you become more confident. And then also there's just sort of a, people don't bullshit me. Like they, like, like you get bullshitted when you're a young writer, right? Like I turn this in, my manager had some notes. I did sort of a quick pass from a manager. It went in, but it was like, you know, everyone loved it. And I was like, this is it. This is what we're doing. And like, uh, I knew that I had them and I knew that I had them in the script. So I was sort of in charge of that moment. And I was able to say, let's go and do this. And you obviously, you let them know. You're like, hey, this other script didn't really work out. I have the gold plane. I'm going to do this one. I'll get back to you in, you know, two months here. Let me just drop something on you. Yeah. I was like, I think, I think we just like had the call and I was just like, all right, well, fuck it. And then I was like, I've had this idea. I told them what the idea was. Everyone's like, 
a fun heist movie like Ocean's Eleven or Italian Job sounds like something buyers would be into because they want sort of positive stories coming out of the pandemic. I said yeah. there's a franchise, uh, there's a franchise appeal to it, which everyone obviously loves. I don't even know if that's true. They definitely signed <laughs> off, but it was not. There was not. There was no development process. Like my manager got the script. That's when he read it. I was like, I'm not going to do notes on an outline. Like I again, and it's it's the confidence of having done this for as long as I've done it, but also knowing what I know. And I just knew I had it. And like, when you know you have it, I don't like to muddy it up. Like if I've got problems with a piece of material or like something's not working, I'll be the first to ask for help or ask, you know, for notes on an outline, but like notes on a fucking outline, like who fucking cares? I'll write it in six weeks and then you can tell me real notes, like wasting time bothers me. And so I was just like, it literally November 15th, I'm going to write it. And I think I had a draft by February 15th. Actually, I know I did because I said I was going to deliver by my birthday, February 14th, and I delivered the day after. I can't even fathom writing something that fast. I, you know, and again, so that's, slow. yeah, uh, it's just, I think, I think that I had, I think I, this one came quick because I've been thinking about it for 10 years. Like, it's not like it was, I would come up with, you know, every three years, I'd be like, what about gold plane? I'd be like, oh, remember the twist of gold plane? Like I knew the twist when I got to write the twist at the end, I was like, thank God it's been 10 years. <laughs> like, and it finally fucking works and it works. Like, I didn't know it was going to work, but it's like, ah, it's cool. So cool. <laughs> so, uh, Tuesday rolls around. They're like, yes. we're taking this, we're taking out, uh, not the gold plane. Yes. Lift is going out into the world. So can you just kind of t talk through that process? I mean, sure. I'm pretty sure it's similar to ancient ox, but it was, it was, um, you know, it's different. I'd never been with verb before, so I didn't quite know how they did things, but like we had talked about it. Um, people were going to be out of town. So it got delayed. Um, like Monday came around and I like, I, I emailed my manager and I was like, Hey, are we doing this? And he's like, yeah, we're going out tomorrow. I was like, Oh, okay, great. And I like, and like, you know, everyone's excited, but I think again, they're professional. They've been around, like no one, no one is like, no one is like, we're going to go sell this. Everyone's like, okay, we're going to do the job. And I trusted them. They knew that this is what I expected. They, you know, they sent me a list of producers on Tuesday morning. I thought the list was great. I had, I, I put a few names on there of people I knew. Um, you know, everyone was sort of covered and they say, and again, uh, I, it's, it's so exciting and you're so nervous and excited all at the same time, but like you literally haven't, it's like, you're not involved in any of the process, like in getting information from my reps, I'm always the last to know everything because like they're dealing with it so quickly and whatever comes in. So they said, okay, we're going to make our calls Tuesday afternoon after lunch. And I said, okay, great. I was a nervous wreck. Tuesday comes around, you have the moment where it's like, oh man, I'm going to find out if I'm still a viable person around here or if I'm not. <laughs> they told me Tuesday at 6.30, everyone has it. We'll see what happens. Um, and then I got a text at like eight o'clock from a producer who was like, we love this. What's the plan? And then we got like two other responses that night. And it was great because I was nervous and it's always good to get good in, you know, you're not going to get someone... Yeah. Everyone will pass in the morning, but at least we knew we had a couple of people who were willing to take it in. Then they went to work. I think my agent, you know, Verve did an amazing job of taking those positive responses and immediately forwarding those to everyone else who got the script to be like, hey, people are already taking territories. Like, get your boss to read tonight. Everyone get on board. Wednesday morning, I get a text. It's just like, shit's happening. Fill you in later. And I don't hear from anybody. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Wrong person. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my, my, I, I get a few, I get a few bits of that people are liking it here. People are liking it there, but now, now they're going through the process of figuring out the territories, right? Cause 
producers are expressing interest, you know, if there were a couple of producers for the same studio, so people had to decide, you know, who's best, you know, there was also a discussion where some people were like, hey, we want to like package this and get a director. And we're like, nope, that's not this. Like you can, we're not doing that. We're not stopping this train to slow it down. Like we don't want no's. So we're not going to anybody who's going to say no. So is that coming from you or coming from your reps or a combination of both? Uh, it's, we both like I've been around long enough to know to not do that. And they obviously knew that they were like, we're doing this. This is mm -hmm. this is the version we're doing like they yeah. want to sell it. So we got to go. And so by by lunch Wednesday, we had a pretty clear cut picture of where we wanted to go. And and um, genre Simon Kimberg, they love the script and they read it. And Simon was very involved, which is nice. Um, and and Simon was also willing to sort of, I think, pair up because he's a writer producer and sort of he's not new i mean he's produced a lot of big movies but to sort of i think they were smart in sort of and i don't know if it was his suggestion or verbs but they were like let's put a team of producers on these things so that people can't say no um and so matt reeves's company simon kimberg company both at netflix both have huge deals willing to come together and work together they work together on a lot of things it's a no-brainer so they got to take it to netflix uh, simon got to take it into paramount with neil moritz um, who I've worked with Neil before on Agent Ox. So like same executive, they were into it. They were willing to pair with Simon. Um, Chris Morgan, who I've worked with and sold things to Universal, took it into Universal. Is that, sorry, is that unusual to have two producers work so generously together and, and agree to take something in? Yes. I will say, I, I, I think that it is the only, I've, of all the other specs that I've ever had go in, um, the idea of pairing is definitely a new one to me. I think it's sort of a version of in today's market. It's sort of like the package without the package because you're going to yeah. get you're going to get yeah. Simon you're going to get Simon and Matt Reeves. So it's like you're getting Chris Morgan too. Like working with producers who are also writers are great for writers because a they're usually nice and know what you're going through. But also it tells the studio like I've got Simon Kimberg to figure it out when Dan can't fucking do it. Like it's just inherent insurance. Can I ask whose idea was to pair Simon with someone else? Was it Simon's? Was it your agent's? I honestly don't know. I think I think that I remember as it told to me that Simon was willing to pair with people and wanted to pair with people to make it sort of an undeniable package. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that came from um, my reps or from Simon himself. And so this is all Wednesday at lunch and I'm sort of expecting those scripts started going in early, like it went in early to Universal. Like I knew that like by noon, it was into a few places. I figured by after lunch, it was going to go into the rest of the town. And I'm sort of thinking, okay, this is great. Day one has been excellent. I'm going to try to not pay any attention and just sort of check out and we'll see what happens in the morning, right? Studios will read on Wednesday night. Wednesday at seven rolls around. Nobody calls. I sort of text my manager. I'm like, you know, are we in? He's like, we're in everywhere. We'll hear tomorrow. I said, that's what I expect. That's great. And then they called me at 8.30 and they called me at 8.30 and they said, Simon and, and, and Matt Reeves, they, they've been pushing Netflix. Netflix is, is read the script. They, they liked the script. They made an offer at 8.30 and said, or at like 8.15 and said it had to be off the table by nine uh, that night. And so I said, okay. And then we talked about it and we sort of like had like a, a perfunctory conversation about where we thought other studios may that may be on the line like studios have competing we knew some studios had competing projects we knew that some studios maybe didn't have the right producer or maybe weren't going to be able to read in time or this other stuff and i was like well we'll just this money's 
they made a good offer and so we took it also fantastic like fantastic example of where agents value comes in is being able to provide you with that information knowing that another studio has a competitive project for instance is such great information because you know they're probably not going to make your movie if they already have one that's just like it there was like we thought we thought that there was one place that we felt good that they would make an offer and one other place that we that was good but maybe not as strong and with that information and offer in hand uh take the money honey so yeah. we did um and and it was done it was done like i said at nine o'clock and then the deadline announcement hit by 11 o'clock the next day and uh my week's worth of my week's worth of sale was done in just under 36 hours or whatever it was so wow. I, I like have anxiety with you just telling that story of what pretty that week crazy that's, like. that's exciting <laughs> yeah it's it's never been like that um it may never be like that again but it was like that once so um you know it's it's great but i will i will tell this and, and again i know that we've talked a lot about spec writing and why specs are important. And again, I've had good success with them, so it's easy for me to say this, but also like immediately after that, two or three dead projects are suddenly not dead anymore. People are like, we've reattached directors, we've found projects at studios that had gone dormant that maybe come backing now, you know. Sure. Um, it helps get your name out there. It becomes, you know, part of your brand. And I think almost most importantly, it's like I had a, another idea that we were going to pitch right after this. We were going to sort of tag team and do a spec and then a pitch. And after it sold, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to spec it again. So I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to go like, it's just as much time to pitch it. Um, I feel like there's so many more intangibles and this idea is so uh, the idea again is a little bit, a little bit crazy and the spec is going to be a little bit crazy. It's not quite a Yellowstone falls situation, but there's going to be a, I would say branding component that will make, hopefully make the script seem interesting when it's going out to sale, which is all I can say, but hopefully we can talk about that when that happens. But yeah, um, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I just decided to go back at it. It's, it's just, um, I think that there's just, there's no, there's no better feeling in the world. I think there's no, especially for a younger writer, there's no easier path to success and to getting a career than being able to write something uh, and then sell it. You, 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 I think it's just um, in terms of a time efficiency, and it's just the old, it's the age old process, right? Even if your spec doesn't sell, you can get jobs off that. You can get meetings off that. You can start your career, but you can't start it unless you do that sort of initial, initial, uh, initial script. Yeah. So. I think to like the, the wrap up question, the wrap up questions we have are a little bit more general, but I think kind of speaking to that idea, I, the year that I, my, my career really dipped and I had to go back to universal was after a year of just doing pitches. Mm -hmm. just going out for OWAs and never having a spec of my own, anything original at the end of that year. And I worked the entire time. So it was very confusing. I was exhausted. <laughs> I was working 12 hour days and I still had no job to show for it. And what's fantastic about watching your career unfold is that there's just these spec sales all the time and that are, you know, pulling you through to the next thing, to the next thing. And as you say, you have this kind of complete control over your career in that way. Can you kind of just talk about why you didn't go the pitch route, I guess, and why you've chosen the spec route. And then like, what advice in there is there for young writers who might fall into that same trap? Because one more thing, sorry, the reason why I think I did the pitch thing was yes. because as a young writer, you're so afraid of 
the original story and these yeah. other ideas these owas these open writing assignments have a big producer attached and like oh all you got to do is nail the pitch and you will oh. get this job and it feels so much closer i, I hate think it. is why i was drawn into I hate, it i hate open writing assignments i hate them <laughs> i've done them i've booked them like i can't say that i haven't booked an open writing assignment because i have so it's hard to sort of you know you don't, and you know, I, I, I just listened to your podcast talking about, you know, Red Sonia and, and, and Tomb Raider, right? Like people book these jobs, people do it all the time, but it's a frustrating process. And it's a lot of work, as you said, and it's a lot of work with um, a very uncertain end to it where the process is sort of an open process, but the, you know, there are other writers pitching, there are other factors at play. A lot of these open writing assignments, like I have pitched on assignments to studios, like in like to EVPs at studios and had a great pitch. And they're like, this was the best pitch we heard, but your pitch was so good. And we're still not going to do this movie. So we've decided to kill the project. And it's like, well, yeah. fuck, fuck you. And it's happened a lot. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, it's just, there's so many things out of your control in an open writing assignment situation. It's even different than I've also done, I've also sort of like booked jobs or sort of, uh, so this, this Kagan one that we spoke about, which was um, a short story that uh, the producers sort of, you know, they weren't paying for the rights, but sort of controlled. We, I read it. I said, you know, I came in and I was very clear. I said, I'm going to come in. I think this is a good idea. I'm going to tell you exactly how I want to do it. And if you say yes, we'll do it. And if you say no, I'm leaving. And it's like, no hard feelings. I'm not being a dick. Like, it's not, a, it's not like that. Just, I'm going to tell you what I want to do. And if that's not what you guys want to do, we'll go, we'll go our separate ways. Um, they said, this is what we want to do. I said, great. I said, let's go pitch it. Let's take our seven best chances. We'll pitch it seven times. And if we don't sell it in those seven pitches, we'll go our separate ways. And we sold it on the seventh pitch. Like, I think there are ways that you want to try to control some of the just endless, needless, mm. busy bullshit. Again, that's a different, different times and different stories. But, you know, to like what you were sort of saying, where if you do do open writing assignments for a year, it's a lot of work. It's frustrating. And you're just not out there. And at the end of it, you don't have anything. If you write your script, you always have that at the end. And it could be bad. Your agents could read it and tell you they don't want to sell it, which has happened to me literally six months ago right? Mm -hmm. I think they're wrong. And we're going to, I'll deal with that some other time <laughs> in some other way. You know, it just affords you so many opportunities um, outside of just doing the open writing assignment. And I think number one is, again, it just makes it so that you have something new that people can read, even if they're not reading it in a spec sale situation. It's a sample. Um, if you don't sell it as a spec or it doesn't catch on there, there's uh, opportunities to package for talent. There's opportunities to package for directors. And if you're doing that as a pitch, every time you go to a director, you're doing a 20 minute pitch and a 45 minute Zoom every single goddamn time. And it takes forever and you're exhausted <laughs> and you're cranky and you're full of nose and your life sucks. If your script goes out and it goes to 10 directors and 10 people say no, you don't even feel it. They just call you up and they said, oh, they all passed. We're going to somebody else. Like it just, it, it, allows you to have things um, and be involved in this process without actually killing yourself over it. And pitches are super tough. Every pitch that I've sold to a studio has been in a situation like uh, uh, that just, I mean, I've actually only sold like, uh, I've only sold one like original idea, not based on anything 
like real pitch to a studio. Uh, and that's when I worked with Dan Trachtenberg, who um, say crime of the century, was. crime of the century was like, an, was, and that was a crazy pitch where they bought the pitch off of Chris Morgan telling the studio about it. And I never actually even pitched it to Jeff Kirshenbaum, which is that's again, fucking insane. Well, insane. yeah, because yeah, Chris Morgan has such a great relationship with Kirshenbaum that he can just be like, trust me, this is a pitch. It's amazing. Well, and I and Dan was it was the, it was great timing. Dan had just um, I was working with Dan. Uh, he had this great idea for Crime of the Century. We worked up this pitch for months. Um, it was a long thirty-minute pitch. It was very complicated. It was kind of like the the gold plane heist again, where it was going to be so execution dependent, right? And I knew that it was going to be. Dan made a short film, and his his um, Portal short film dropped, um, and it got fourteen million views. And they were like, let's go take two shots. And we did, and we sold it. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it without Dan's heat at the time. I remember when that happened. And I remember, because I actually think Josh and I talked about this log line. And we were like, oh, yeah, my God, that's say. so fucking epic. And then, and then I was like, I need to talk to Kunkka about how the hell he just sold it in the room. And what you're telling me is that you didn't have to go into the room. <laughs> no, we pitched it to Chris. We pitched it to Chris. Um, I know it was Tuesday at like a 10 a.m. meeting. We pitched it to Chris in Tuesday. his bungalow. Tuesday, buddy. Um, <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan did a, um, a like a sizzle reel, like a trailer, like a like a trailer for it. Put it on a DVD. We play the DVD for Chris. I get in the car. I start driving home. They call me up and they're like, "Do you have the DVD?" I was like, "Yeah." Like Chris wants to show it to Kirsch uh, in their fast. I think five or fast six meeting that day. Mm -hmm. And I said, Oh, that sounds great. Like ran it all the way back, met Kirsch in the lobby, gave it to him or gave it to Ainsley. Chris went up, showed it to Kirsch. Chris said, you know, this is it. These guys have it. And they said, okay, great. Let's take it off the table. And they did. And oh, that I story like, makes me so happy. <laughs> it's like, I know I sound like such an asshole that this stuff happens to me, but like, again, it's no, it's, especially that like you worked at universal, just you had relationships with all those people, just that. All well, that that's all like, it... I mean, we can talk about that too, Tasha. Like, I still think that I still think it's a, I still think it's more of a detriment than a helper throughout all my dealings. And I've had two, I've had by now, most people at universal are gone. So maybe it's just, maybe it's just, I'm shitty and they don't like me, but like, <laughs> it's not, they're not bad experiences, but I always feel like, especially when I was closer to having worked there, that there was always just like, oh, you mean Dan from the story department rather than Dan the writer. And yeah, so I absolutely. think that there, I think that there is a little bit, it's good to be known, but it's not the best always. Um, and, you know, it's not until now that I've been, I've had a little more success in other places than that then maybe you're seen in a different light than how you were seen originally leaving that place. I definitely um, agree with that, yeah. Finishing up, like, yes, I have done pitches. I have done open writing assignments. But again, I, I just think the control that you have and and how your script can travel without you is just um, it's just fundamentally important to not only starting your career but keeping your career going. Because if you're not going to make a movie for twelve years and can still be on a podcast with Tasha and Josh and talk about your career, this is this is I am a working writer, and you want to be this, if it's a good life and it's a good career and you want to do it and you want to keep doing it. Um, and the, and the best way to do that is to, as I always, my old analogy is Apple always tries to sell you a new iPhone every year, right? Like they don't just rest on iPhone three. We're at iPhone 12. <laughs> every script you write is just Kunkka 2.0, Kunkka 3.0, Kunkka 12.0. Like you just got to keep going. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to end with what is your advice for writers that, you know, want to do this and follow in your footsteps, but it sounds like you sort of already did it, unless you yeah. have anything in addition Dan, Dan to say. Dan just spoke to my soul. I know. I, I love it. <laughs> yes. So I love it. I just love, I just love the business. I love doing it. I love, obviously, it's easy to love it when you're having success. And I know that there are definitely times, and but I just also want to, you know, I would say this. I have been through all the shitty times too. I had to write a script to save health insurance. I've lost health insurance for a quarter. You know, I have had wasted a year on open writing assignments and then no one knows your name. Even this, I had two great projects with two great directors that I'm working on, but you know, without Lyft, no one knows you. So mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, my word of advice is find that great idea and then write the shit out of it. And then, and then good things will happen. I think you are speaking to Josh's soul. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just like lay back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. I will take us out with the quote of the day. But first, Kunga, thank you so much for coming on. This yeah. was actually very inspirational for me as well. I feel like I want to just go immediately right. <laughs> I need Tasha spec. quits her job and she yeah. goes to her next spec. She's like, Netflix will, <laughs> Tomb Raider will make itself. We'll figure it out, <laughs> you guys. You got off. an outline. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a quote of the day. The road to hell is paved with works in progress. Philip Roth. Yeah. <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram, on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. You can follow me, Josh, at Joshua Hallman on Twitter and Josh Hallman on Instagram. And Dan. Yes, you can follow me at my Twitter. Unikunka, U-N-I-K-U-N-K-A, and it's Unikunka because I was an intern at Universal, and when I had a college email at USC, no one could email me during the day, so I said, you could email me at Unikunka, when I was at Unikunka <laughs> at work, at yahoo.com, and literally, it stuck with me forever, so <laughs> there you go. Unikunka, he has a great Twitter. You talk a lot about writing too, which is always fun. As always, guys, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.